When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SCP-4833 The Syncope Symphony French author Marcel Proust once wrote that remembrance of things past is not necessarily the remembrance of things as they were. Memories fade and change, whether we realize it or not, and our memories of past events can rarely be completely trusted. Today's SCP-4833 has a lot to do with memories, much like the group of interest it's connected to, the Class of 76. I've already done a video on the Class of 76, and while I might recommend viewing that first to enhance this one, it's not necessary, as 4833 does its own thing. The article starts with some text, more akin to a tale than an SCP article. As usual, to pad my video length, I'll read it verbatim for you. Rows upon rows of empty seats line the hall. You've made sure only you're here tonight. The others are all off on business or caught up in their work. You made sure to register a week's holiday after the business noun in Magaluf. Your sheer exhaustion needs to be tended to. In the few months since your promotion, you haven't had much time to yourself. But there have been things you've been curious about for a long time. Things beyond your particular remit. You made a requisition request for a file, stuck in a filing cabinet in one of the more obscure parts of Site-01. It's pretty clear that it's something most people would like to forget. The reel begins to play, all automated of course. Grains flicker across the screen before bursting into an image. It's a high school playing field. The year must be about 1975-76. There's no audio and the image flickers and distorts at inconvenient moments. But the forms are all clear. They're playing rugby? American football? Something like that. It's not quite right. The camera stretches and moves around. A smiling group of people, spectators, all wave at the camera. Their movements are not constructed or acted or precise. They're messy and uncertain, giggling and youthful. People, real people, sitting right in front of you right? You look down at the document, but you can't quite concentrate. You remember school, don't you? Your experience was different. Different place, different time. But you remember it. The disciplined format of time. The early pangs of heartache. The promise of all your dreams before you. An infinity of youth, shaped by your name. It was all ahead of you. That sunset curve over the horizon. You do remember, right? Don't you remember? There will be more of these little sections as we go, but let's look at the actual SCP for a bit. SCP-4833 is a group going by the name Syncope Symphony, consisting of somewhere between 10 to 29 reality benders with similar abilities. The group first came to prominence in the late 1940s, and their activities revolve around experimenting and anomalously altering teenagers between 15 and 18 years old. 
For decades, they were a rather worrisome group due to kidnapping and forcibly altering these youth, but their activity has significantly declined in recent years. Aside from this, though, the Foundation really has very little idea about the group's goals, fundamental nature, or specific methods. Interviewers with survivors of the group's experiments indicate that their ultimate goal is instituting a state of harmony, although what that means is also unknown. Syncope Symphony's anomalous effects are heavily connected with memory, as mentioned, as well as music, as implied in the name of the group. The group often operates as a performing orchestra, or running a musical supply shop, and witnesses of the reality benders describe them as wearing masks, although details are scarce. The Foundation first heard about the group in the mid-1970s, a few decades after they started operating, which is pretty impressive, and a dedicated task force was created to track down their members. So far, the number of Syncope Symphony members the Foundation has tracked down is zero but they have helped contain much of the group's activities. Based on what the Foundation can deduce, the Symphony first began operating in 1947, with kidnappings beginning to occur around the world, particularly concentrated around Yellowstone National Park in the U.S. In 1964, they began mass experimenting on people in the town of Boys, Idaho. After this, due to pressure from the GOC and other groups, they relocated their headquarters. In 1969, they opened up a music supply shop titled Syncope Symphony, but it seems to be an entirely mundane store. In autumn of 1975, a mass cognitohazardous event took place at a lake, now classified as SCP-2316, where you probably don't recognize the bodies in the water. Nothing specifically links this event to the symphony, but it fits their operations. Of course, in 1976, the symphony were responsible for events involved with the anomalous class of 76, as they experimented on a large number of students across the country. As mentioned, if you want to hear more about these specific events, check out my class of 76 video. This spree of experimentation, of course, brought the foundation's attention and it's at this point that the symphony went underground, drastically reducing their kidnappings. Some have speculated that the reason the group stopped most of their activities at this point is because they've achieved their goals, and additional kidnappings have just been a way of fine-tuning things. 1988 was the last known encounter between a Foundation personnel and an individual affected by the symphony until 2019, and were given a log of the interaction. The encounter happened in a bar in a small city in the Soviet Union, between Agent Hardcastle of the Foundation and Vasily Stroganov, who had been experimented upon by the Symphony in the late 1940s. Vasily had apparently helped out the Foundation with something in the past, as he himself is a reality bender, possibly because of the experiments by the Symphony, or that was what drew the Symphony to him in the first place. Vasily wants nothing to do with the Foundation now, but Hardcastle insists that he tells them about the symphony, specifically about something that happened in 1954. Vasily fears the symphony finding him, mentioning that they believe in a design bigger than the last. He says that they're hardly taking anyone anymore, because they've found what they were looking for, and he asks Hardcastle to leave him and them alone. When Hardcastle says that he'll have to take him in by force, Vasily stares at him 
and asks him about Marcy Green, a girl that Hardcastle loved as a teenager. Hardcastle is clearly stressed, as Vasily continues to press him about her, using his abilities to learn his memories. The two teenagers had been separated, and Hardcastle had said that he would come back to her, but apparently he never did. Vasily says that the Marcy in Hardcastle's head is just a shadow, a fragment that only tells a fraction of the original story, and he tells him to go back to the fields. This causes Hardcastle to collapse to the floor and die, while Vasily quietly cries. The log ends with Vasily stating that he had to do it, and they'll never get out of his head because they want it too badly. What exactly the symphony want, though, is still unclear. We get some more text of the individual reading this document. You remember Hardcastle. He'd been at Site 90 when you just started out at the Foundation back in the late 80s. He'd been a mentor to you, fresh from your doctorate and hungry for knowledge. A few months later, he disappeared. Transferred, you'd been told. Now, he barely existed at all. Not many people left to remember him, and they'll be dead soon. This document immortalizes him, but only as a description of a recording, an abstraction of abstraction. You light up a cigarette and keep watching the footage. The cameraman is at home now. His mom's clothes are old-fashioned even for the time period. She looks like a faded 50s housewife, smiling a perfect smile at the camera. Her anachronism is flawed, though, and little bits of the contemporary are sneaking in. The father smiles, short sleeve shirt, old-fashioned watch, beer can, sunglasses. A man who never thinks he's out of place, and always is. You know these people. They're the same as any thousands of parents who live today, but their past placement still changes them, alters them. They're not the same. They're too natural to be from back then. You must have been, what, 13, 14 back in 1976? It's become a lost time even to you. You only remember flashes. A woman smiling. A father laughing. That person you fell in love with. Teachers with strange faces. Grains on old camera footage. Black and white. Color TV. Shadows of shadows. You return to the file. Another agent, Kowalski, was investigating the symphony before her suicide in 1997, and had compiled a number of relevant documents. First is a shipping manifest from Marshall, Carter, and Dark from 1947, detailing various items likely connected to the symphony. These items include several anomalous musical instruments, such as a French horn that forces the user to forget key aspects of their childhood, or a violin made out of wood from Yggdrasil, the world tree. Other items are more temporal in nature, such as a book titled Visions of the 20th Century, 1940-1970, which contains impossibly accurate predictions and photographs from after the publication date. There's also a Yellowstone Park Visitor's Guide from 1970, the second reference so far to Yellowstone, and an item listed as Documents and Items Recovered from the Marianas Trench. I'll explain that one later. The second document is a message from a Foundation researcher to a site director in 1959 about a test subject that had presumably been affected by the symphony. It seems that the subject affects the memories of those near them, 
leading Foundation researchers to wear asbestos suits to prevent the effect, although they're complaining about the health problems associated with asbestos. The subject themselves has lost all of their own memories, and believes that they are a schoolchild in 1976, despite the year being 1959. They can't give accurate information on events after 1954, though, and possess a curious obsession with exploration of World War II-era bunkers. The third document contains a few excerpts related to three different test subjects in 1968. The first subject, a 19-year-old male, had been altered by the symphony sometime prior to 1966. He described the individuals that had experimented on him as wearing white carnival masks. The subject can alter previous events in time that they themselves experimented, and only to a limited degree. So far, they've only altered a couple of mundane events from a few years prior, and they still believe the year to be 1966. The second subject is a female, aged 36, who underwent significant anomalous alterations in 1949. In their current state, they are obsessed with the Marianas Trench, frequently talking about a sheer fall off the edge of the world. They also now possess an advanced piano playing ability, and the ability to speak in an unknown language similar to the Algonquin languages, but only when they're playing the piano. The third subject is a female that died when they were 30. They had been in Foundation custody since 1959, and believed themselves to be a 17-year-old from 1976, with altered memories. Their predictions of events over the course of the previous decade have been entirely incorrect, claiming that a President Kennedy was assassinated, and there had been a war between the U.S. and a country known as North Vietnam. They ended up hanging themselves in 1969, leaving behind a series of pencil drawings of a violin, a World War II-era bunker, and a Super 8 film camera. It turns out that a Super 8 camera would end up being found in a small cave in Idaho in 1985, and the fourth document is a log of the footage recovered from it. The video opens on a hillside, reminiscent of the American Midwest, but with strikingly different colors, and a settlement nearby that seems to be a small town from the mid-70s. A large cloud is above the town, intermittently red and black with several indistinct gray shapes emerging from the cloud and entering the town. The individual holding the camera runs up the hill before briefly dropping the camera and picking it back up, revealing the cameraman to be a male in his mid-teens, a violin case strapped to their back, with a hairstyle typical of the 1970s. The cameraman continues to run, eventually coming across a cave, which he enters. Inside, he finds a thin, rose-tinted film stretched across the center of the cave, and graffiti on the far wall which reads, Safe House. The cameraman walks towards the film, and switches the camera off. When the video picks up again, the cameraman is now severely emaciated, and the colors of the environment now appear to be normal. He is talking to the camera, but it's not clear what he's saying. Later, the footage picks up outside of the cave, as the cameraman limps towards the hillside, throwing up on the way. He points the camera at the town, now in ruins, 
and shows large amounts of scaffolding and construction materials. Thousands of indistinct but apparently identical humanoids are working on the town, wearing identical orange jumpsuits. The weather effect from earlier is completely absent. When the camera footage comes back, pointing at the town sometime later, the town now resembles Boys, Idaho in the mid-1940s. The cameraman turns the camera to face himself, and due to image distortion, it's hard to make out, but he appears to be screaming. Next, inside of the cave again, several words can be seen scrawled on a wall in black marker. Synapse, Sibilance, Signs, Sayonara, The Sibyl. Finally, one word is circled. Syncope. As the cameraman turns the camera to himself again, they no longer appear emaciated, but their face and hands specifically are suffering from image distortion in the video, and they are wearing a white Venetian mask. The footage ends here. We're given some more text from the individual reading the file as things start to come together. There is a place that nobody talks about. It's buried miles under Yellowstone Park, and it's a mystery even to the foundation which created it. It's the one thing which truly terrifies them. The primary purpose of this place, this cavernous expanse of steel and concrete, is repopulation, reconstruction, restoration. But there are things buried in it that have a broader purpose. Scranton reality anchors, the XACTs, other buried machines you know nothing about. Things which alter time and change causality in ways which are subtle, unknown, unheard. Sometimes, things might fall through the cracks. Smoke clouds your eyes as you stare into space, deep in thought. You're too absorbed to notice changes on the screen as the reel churns and churns through its ancient pictures. A group of friends, laughing in front of their lockers, talking about some forgotten joke or gossiping about unknown persons. The content is not preserved, only the form of it. A boy, unseen by the cameraman but in the background of the shot, is seen writing on a piece of paper. His eyes and face are serious, in concentration. He looks up occasionally, twitchy and nervous. Beside him lies a violin case. You don't see the boy. You've already turned back to the file. He's not a part of your memory, that other image of an image of something that might have been real. Was he ever really there? The symphony finally made another big move in 2019, initiating a hostile takeover of an abandoned high school auditorium. The foundation swooped in and ended up only finding one member of the symphony, although this was a big break either way. Agent O'Hara was sent in to interview and detain the entity. She finds the individual standing on the stage with a heavily distorted appearance, although they seem to be an elderly male. They are wearing a white carnival mask, an outfit typical of stage conductors in the mid-20th century, and holding a golden violin. Around them is a large amount of clothing, similar to what orchestra members would wear from the same time period. In the interview, all the dialogue from the entity is distorted in the video footage, so we don't get to know what it said, 
only Agent O'Hara's responses. O'Hara assures it that she's not here to hurt it, and she just wants to understand what they're doing. The entity asks about a bunker of some sort, but O'Hara doesn't know what it means, and instead asks about the rest of the symphony. The entity gestures to the clothes around it, and although O'Hara first guesses that they died somehow, she comes to a realization that the symphony didn't really have much of a plan, and instead they faded away. The entity picks up its violin and takes a couple of steps forward, causing O'Hara to pull out her pistol. She asks it why they experiment on children, and what's going on with SCP-2316, the lake. There's some back and forth, and the entity seems to imply that the children they experiment on are like them in some way. The entity begins struggling with some sort of unseen force centered on their violin, and it says something about interpretation and another force at play. O'Hara rebukes him, assuming that the symphony is just a sort of malicious group that kidnaps children for their own reasons, but the entity continues to suggest that there's another force at work, pushing them along. The dialogue suggests that the symphony experimented on children in order to make them remember something from the past, but they've largely failed. O'Hara continues to get angry, telling it that it was all a con because there is no past to remember. The entity begins to play the violin, which starts to affect O'Hara, and she recounts some memories of her last summer after high school. She had a fight with some other girl that she was involved with, and mentions that the hills were green, but there was a red sky over the horizon. The entity is now playing the violin at a speed and complexity beyond what humans are capable of, but they try and pry themselves away from the instrument, eventually collapsing to the floor as the violin hovers in the air, playing itself. The entity clutches its head and makes a distorted sound, believed to be a scream. O'Hara asks who we are, and if you remember. Several figures appear around her with heavily disfigured faces, and she finishes by saying that she does remember. Shortly afterwards, other Foundation agents entered the auditorium, only finding Agent O'Hara fully conscious, with no memory of what had happened. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Finally, we get one last section of text from the individual reading the file before I'll get to the explanation. A girl is smiling in a hallway. She laughs at some unheard joke her friend is telling her. A teacher walks past, a worried expression on her face. The sun is shining through a window. The picture quality washes the scene in grainy light. That hallway never existed anymore. This reel was recovered from the bottom of the Marianas Trench, along with a few other tiny fragments. In the dark, buried beyond where any man could go, the only place anything has ever been found of the things that once were. 
Nobody remembers her. All you see is some light on a page, an image, a shadow of a shade that happens to resemble this creature from long ago. It's not a memory, but a flicker that indicates that something, anything, once moved there. The reel ends. Its sound echoes through the room. Click, click, click. White and black lines flicker across the screen as you sit there, cigarette smoke filling the air in front of your blank face. One day, you will never have been either. Some disaster or trivial catastrophe will happen, and the whole rigmarole will start again. A bunker, a lever, deaths and endings. A movement will end, but the symphony will go on forever. And even if it doesn't, even if all fails, your own life will be gone. It will be extinguished as so many others were. You will be a corpse, a skeleton, dust, a thing that never was, and nobody will remember you. The trees will grow over your grave. Flowers will dance. Humans will linger on, then die, or spread out among the stars with no memory of their homeland. The earth will crack and burn, and the molecules will die, and the atoms will die, and the dark will consume them all. What few scattered waves remain will dissipate, and nothing will ever have happened. An infinity with no concept of itself. Or maybe not. You pick up your lighter and burn the documents, watching each lick of flame consume them. You stand up, your face stark against the flickering lights, and walk out of the room. Nothing beside remains. Okay, so a lot of this is pretty weird, of course. And I'll tell you right now that this SCP does not answer what exactly the syncope wants or what exactly they are. Something should best be left to mystery, after all. This does provide some very interesting info about their background, though. This SCP is largely connected to another one, which you might have already figured out. SCP-2000, located underneath Yellowstone National Park. SCP-2000 is a large underground facility, or bunker, that is used by the Foundation in case of an end-of-the-world scenario to repopulate and recreate the Earth. The facility possesses all of the capabilities and resources to recreate the world as it was at a certain time, including people, cities, landmarks, artwork, etc. It can recreate memories and life histories of people if needed, and afterwards releases a mass amnestic across the globe so that no individual remembers the process. Once it's all done, life simply goes on, as if nothing happened. But as the article mentioned, sometimes things fall through the cracks. One of these things, as alluded to in the Marshall, Carter, and Dark Shipping Manifest, is a document recovered from the Marianas Trench. This document appears as a separate tale, actually predating the writing of SCP-2000, but it alludes to an alternate timeline in which everything went to hell and the world effectively ended. The fact that the document was found at the bottom of the Marianas Trench suggests that it wasn't an alternate timeline at all, but instead our own time before the Foundation fixed things. SCP-2000 raises the question of how many times has the Foundation actually used the facility, 
since the memories could easily slip away. That all being said, it would seem that the Syncope Symphony are individuals that retain their memories after an end-of-the-world scenario, and SCP-2000 is used. We see this in the video log of the town in Idaho, as some sort of scenario is playing out, causing really strange weather effects and weird gray figures. The cameraman manages to hide out in an anomalous safe house in a cave, protected from the scenario as well as the amnestic released after the Foundation came in to fix things and revert the world back a few decades. The symphony, therefore, is going around and trying to make teenagers remember the real past, not the fabricated one from SCP-2000. Although, again, why exactly they're determined to do this is left to your imagination. They seem to use music as part of their work, as they believe that music has a consciousness of its own, transcending memory. A slight understanding of their backstory and methods doesn't really lend them any sympathy, though, as they've still caused plenty of problems for reasons unknown. So, as it would turn out, no solution is without flaws, not even the Foundation's magical tools to fix reality. Experiencing the end of the world is bad enough, but experiencing it and then remembering it is likely enough to break an individual. SCP-4833 shines a light on one of the most mysterious groups in the SCP universe, but even after it's done, there's still plenty of mystery left to ponder.